This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the AEC Engineering and Technology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping engineering professionals find technology that fits their needs. In this episode, I'll be talking with Dylan Mitchell, PE, founder of Cowabunga Studios and host of the Construction Corner Podcast about automation and design, how it can help engineering firms save time and money on their projects, and what that means for the people involved. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome, everyone. Uh, it's now time for our conversation of the week with Dylan. Dylan, welcome to the show. Nick, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Great to have you on. So Dylan, in your own words, can you just tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and what you do on a daily basis? I mean, it's a good question. And, you know, as I more than like to define myself in one particular, you know, niche little area, most all of us are kind of multidimensional and have a pretty diverse background. So for me, I grew up on a farm, uh, done 4-H, you know, my entire childhood, which really taught me work ethics. So raised cattle, sheep, pigs, rabbits, chickens, like all the stuff, all the animals. I lived in Northern Virginia until I was in really the end of middle school, moved to the Oregon coast after 9-11 and the DC sniper took us out of the Northern Virginia area, went to Indiana for college, lived in, uh, Louisville for five years, Indy for another five years. And then uh, currently I'm like 90 minutes from the Yosemite Valley here in California. So it's uh, for anybody that doesn't know where Yosemite is, it's due south of Lake Tahoe and uh, due east of San Francisco. And then in my spare time, ultra runner, triathlons, done two Ironmans, done a bunch of ultra marathons. So 50 miles, 100 kilometers, 62 miles in the mountains. But the real reason that we're here today and Nick's having me on is I've been uh, responsible for electrical and technology design within $750 million of commercial construction, led departments of designers and engineers. I've worked all the late nights and weekends that you guys are doing on projects, and I've pretty much done it all from K-12, higher ed, healthcare, both in hospital and outpatient, done industrial projects, manufacturing facilities, I've done restaurants, residential. I mean, you pretty much name it, I've done it, and really all that work, all those projects, everything in Revit has taught me to really that there has to be a better way to do a lot of this stuff that we do in the design world. And so much of what we do ends up being super repetitive when at the end of the day, we're just trying to put a design together initially so that the owner can get reviewed so that we can talk to their disciplines, make sure that we coordinate everything. And that just initial layout can take weeks or months to do just to get reviewed so through my own struggles, my own stress, uh, getting shingles from the stress of these jobs is why I created Cowabunga Studios so that other engineers don't have to suffer like I did. And that's why we're here today. Great points. And that introduction to your background is great, Dylan, because like we talked about earlier, right? Sometimes the benefits of what we're about to talk today just means you get to go home earlier and do something else with your life, right? So let's get into design automation. So could you talk a little bit about 
what design automation is and then some of the benefits to, you know, architects, engineers in the audience? Right now, there's a ton of talk about AI, you know, with chat GPT and open AI and all that stuff, other forms of automation that's out there. And rightfully so, you might be worried about your job, right? Is this going to take over what you do? But realistically, within the construction industry as a whole, like we need more people. If you talk to any firm over the last five years, 10 years, they're like, we need to hire more people. There's not enough people coming in the industry. We're worried about when you know Bob's going to retire in the next two years, five years, tomorrow, and him just saying, I'm done with it. So really, when I talk about design automation, I'm talking about removing the time-consuming and tedious tasks that we have to do as an industry to get a project out the door. This is from project setup, like title plot creation, putting views on sheets, naming a number in sheets, views, all that simple like setup stuff that just takes a ton of time. When you really look at it, project setup alone is anywhere from two to 4% of a project. And so you spread that across a year. It's, you know, hundreds of hours that we end up spending on sheet and title block creation, which is just crazy when you think about it and break it down in those terms. Then on top of that, like the initial layouts, stuff like that, which is just typically, you know, if you have enough people, you hand it to an intern and be like, hey, man, just do this and uh, I'll see you in two weeks when you get it done. But with interns only being there in the summer, with not enough people coming in, new hires to hand that stuff off to. And why as an engineer getting an engineering degree, would you want to do drafting when you have such a prestigious degree from whatever university you went to, you know, you've passed your FE, you're going to be a PE and to have basically a technician role coming into it, like how are you going to keep people doing that? So when I think of design automation, it's just taking that basic stuff off of somebody's plate and allowing engineers, designers to do what they do best and to really use the thinking capacity, our brain power as engineers to solve problems. So that's how I think of design automation and to do the brunt of the work, that 80%, and then let the engineers handle those corner cases, those edge cases, all the stuff that a machine is really not going to figure out. And even if you're just the liaison between the two is you're always going to have a job as an engineer to communicate between the owner, the other disciplines, and then what you need to do to produce your construction documents. This is a common thread, no matter the show, no matter the guest, right? It's the technology is here to help us as design professionals, right? Like you said, there are some instances where it's going to lighten the load off your plate for you know whatever reason. And there's others where you might think it's taking away a responsibility from you. But in most cases, in my personal experience, it's just elevating you to that next level, right? To be a better engineer, to take on a more interesting problem, et cetera. But with that being said, Dylan, you've got certain things that we know can be automated away, right? In the the case of what you guys do is just project setup. But are there certain things that you maybe wouldn't want to automate away based on what you and your company have seen? I mean, there's always going to be those edge cases, right? Like I'm never going to automate architectural lighting. I'm never going to automate, you know, you could do maybe some rack design for like data and low voltage. There's certain edge cases of like landscape lighting other decorative stuff. Like that's never going to be able to be automated because that's a human aesthetic. That's a creative choice. And for the architects listening, there's a lot of those things too, that are not going to be able to be automated. There's going to be maybe basic stuff. Like if you're doing 
block buildings or something that's not interesting, you know, that can probably be automated. But for most like facade design, layout, flow, most of that is just not going to be able to be automated. A lot of like design choices and circuit sizing and some of that, while yes, some of it can be automated, it's the things that the computer won't know is expansion or the next pieces for that campus. You know, what other pieces do you want to put in now that aren't going to be handled maybe in this project, but in the next three, right? All those other conversations that you have with an owner, with other disciplines, the expansion pieces that often aren't so cut and dry, things like that are not going to be able to be automated. You know, there's a good chunk that can be, but a person is always going to need to review it. They're going to need to use design decisions and their engineering expertise to we load these, you know, circuits less in these areas because we know people are going to plug in space heaters. A computer doesn't know that. So there's always going to be a lot of choices that are made in design. And, you know, you might design something one way, someone else might design something another way. And based on your expertise, both will work. Just it's going to give a different flavor to it. And that's why they hire your firm versus somebody else's firm. So those things are always going to be there. And I would hate to really pull that out of kind of design decisions and that feedback loop that we get as engineers, you know, over decades of experience. Dylan, if I'm hearing you correctly, right, there's always the human touch or the human element, no matter what the project is, right? Because ultimately, spaces that are designed are for the most part, buildings, right? Designed for humans, but also by humans. Yeah. And I think the big thing at the end of the day to remember is that a human single person is responsible for each discipline in architecture and engineering. We have to sign and seal drawings, unlike pretty much any other engineering discipline out there, right? For cars and automotive, nothing is really signed and sealed. For communications or your cell phone, right? No one is signing and sealing those drawings. So at the end of the day, a human is responsible. So even if the whole project is designed automatically, right, somebody still has to review it and sign off and be responsible for those drawings. We've given a couple of examples of what you do at Cowabunga, right? But could you talk a little bit more about the company and how you guys differentiate yourself from your competitors? So with Cowabunga Studios, honestly, I haven't seen anybody that does quite what we do. When it comes to especially, you know, niche down into electrical, low voltage data security design, where we automate all of effectively what is design documents, right? All your initial lighting layouts for general lighting, your receptacle, general purpose layouts, lighting controls, so switches, aux sensors, your fire alarm devices, your initial panel layout, and then for data devices, floor boxes, your data drops, wireless access points, card readers, door position switches, cameras. Once you run our software and solution within your Revit models, right? So you need to have a Revit model. It needs to have ceilings, walls, floors, doors, levels established, you know, basic programmatic design done. Once you run our solutions, both with Sheets Made Simple, surfboard, skimboard for, so Sheets Made Simple is that initial project setup, doing all your views, sheets, putting everything together that way. Then you run surfboard for all your electrical stuff, skimboard for everything low voltage, you have full design document sets in just a few hours that you can basically turn in for a review. They're on sheets. You do some cleanup, some review, and you're good to go with a design document set for effectively any building size that you have. 
let's just call it within a day or two for even some of the bigger 300,000 plus square foot buildings that I've worked on, you know, for like a new high school, you can have that. And let's just call it even two days a week, right? It's still months ahead of whatever your schedule was for that project. Whether it's a day, two days, a week, like you mentioned, just depending on all the variables that go into any one project. Can you speak a little bit more about like the return on investment, whether qualitatively or quantitatively, just in general, no hard numbers required, right? Because it's always going to vary. But just to give the audience a sense of like, hey, this is a really interesting tool based on current industry standards, which we'll get into next. Talking in percentages was probably closer to easy for everybody to use across their projects, right? Because when we start talking square footages, it becomes hard to compute for everybody. So if you took 20% out of all of your projects, right? From project setup at two to 4%, design documents, you know, at another 15 to 30%, depending on how everybody cuts their design documents and, and what that looks like for you. But let's just say 20% out of all of your projects. So that's four or 500 hours a year cut out from a single person's work, right? Spread across all the projects you do. I mean, it starts to add up very quickly in you know the time savings. And so the question that you really have to then ask yourself, one is how much overtime are all your people working? Are they working 20% overtime, right? So they're working an additional eight hours a week. So they're, let's just say 50 hours, which I don't think is unrealistic for most people. Like it's pretty common, I think within the engineering industry, 60 hours is again, not uncommon. So let's just take that back down to where everybody works a 40 hour week throughout the year. How cool would that be? Not just financial return on investment, right? But retention, the happiness of of your people, it, it's always going to go beyond just the flat numbers, right? But in my experience, right, if the numbers are a home run, everything else that comes along with it is icing on the cake, even if it's more important than just the dollars and cents, right? And we had a great conversation earlier, and I'd like to delve into now the people. You founded Cowabunga Studios for a reason, right? And part of that was just how much stress you took on kind of when you were working in more of a traditional engineering role. But what are some of the reasons that you're seeing as to like why engineers are so stressed out and working all of these hours? It's a big question because when you really look at the industry at large, we put a lot of responsibility on engineers. Personally, like I was 27, 28, you know, and got shingles. A lot of these young guys that you stay in a firm for three, five years, move up, get licensed, you know, you pretty much write your own ticket. A lot of these younger guys come into the industry and, you know, they get licensed, they do all the right things. They get a ton of responsibility poured onto them because frankly, there's nobody else to take it. And once you get licensed, you know, you move past the guys that have been there for 30 years, even though they have more experience, you have credentials. And in our industry, that matters a lot. So the licensed professional gets a ton put on them, you know, not just the responsibility of signing and concealing, but to review, you know, you start to manage departments and really get a lot of responsibility for you. You know, I was managing nine, 10 guys at a time and we were doing a few million square feet of K-12 projects a year. I mean, that's just huge, right? And I was 26 or 25 when I took over management of that department. You know, I had my PE, an MBA, here you go, right? Here's the team, have fun, good luck. And that's really the bigger part of this is, you know, when we talk design automation, it's 
we're not training people in the industry. We're not spending time to, to train people, to equip them what they need to do and how to lead, how to learn, how to design has always been, all right, you're next to the old guy for <laughs> the next however long, learn as much as you can, or the other experienced guy or whatever, they just sit you next to them. And that's how you learned. There was no training program. There was no like course listing. There was no like, okay, you passed this thing. Okay. We're going to give you a raise. It's just like, well, you've been here for a while. Here's some more money. You haven't screwed anything up that we know of. And uh, we'll find out in construction, but here's some more money or responsibility or whatever. And that's just kind of how the industry has been. So as far as design automation and all this goes is how many people are you trying to hire? You know, you need people. Design automation can help fill that role. You don't have a training program in place. Well, because you don't have time to train people or you don't have projects, then you don't have money. So then you go on this cycle of like, well, we're not investing in anything because we don't have projects. But when we have projects, we don't have time. So we can't train. And then it just never gets done, right? You don't improve anybody through the process. The other side of design automation is not just a better life for the engineer, the architect using it, you know, and to go home at five o'clock, right? To go see your kid's basketball game or soccer game or sports or go hang out with friends or leave work at work at five o'clock, you know, to go home, to go for a run, to not come in on weekends. Like that's what a lot of us are looking for. But it's also like we want to grow and develop professionally. And if a firm was able to spend the time to interview all their senior leaders, to record the trainings, to download all of that knowledge that these guys have that have been in the industry for 30, 40 plus years, how awesome would that be? And then not to mention like how much more time could you spend with owners? How many more projects could you get? how much more money could the firm make instead of being on these razor thin margins all the time? Cause you could do more, you can be more efficient. So like design automation is not just getting more done. It's, it goes through every single level of the firm. And if you don't have some of these questions at least asked, and you're thinking about how you can use all this additional time that you're going to get investing in design automation, isn't going to get you all the results that you're looking for. You have to have really a more comprehensive plan than just like, hey, we got this software and we're going to implement it and life's going to be great. It's like, what are you going to do on the other side of that? There's like the obvious benefits, right? But then there's all the other things you just talked about. And one thing that I like that you said is just the health of the firm because people in engineering, right? They're retiring at a clip, you know, over the past couple of years that we haven't really seen, right? There's just this knowledge that's just trapped inside these people's head, all this valuable knowledge that's being lost. So I love the fact that, right, it's not just about like the process and getting more done and doing more projects, right? It's like, what does that mean to all the stakeholders involved from owners to firm owners to the engineers, right? Even down to, let's just say the admin staff who is just so much better off because all of their engineers are more pleasant to be around. And it's just a great thing to see because now we're talking about what can it do for the people rather than what can it just do for the hard technical parts of projects. Think if you're a draftsman or a BIM tech and all you've ever been pigeonholed into is project setup, initial layout. You've been pigeonholed into to that because your firm just has so many projects and you're the BIM guy. Well, now when you start to use design automation, you can start to learn other skills. Maybe you're in an MEP firm, maybe you do more electrical 
design. Maybe you do more mechanical sizing. Maybe you do more pipe sizing for plumbing or same on architecture side, right? You start to do more code analysis. You start to do more space planning. You start to do all these other pieces. Well, now you become more valuable in that same amount of time you're learning other pieces and then your pay is going to go up with that, right? You can now, instead of being just a BIM tech and like these people are important to a firm. So like, don't get me wrong there. But, you know, now you can become a designer. You can make more money every year because you're adding to your skill set. And that helps the firm. It helps you. It helps your family. Like it helps everybody because you're able to do more and not just be pigeonholed into setting up projects. And the same goes for like the 3D guys, right? With the advent of a lot of the technology out there, they don't have to spend all of their time doing these renderings and visualizations. Everybody can kind of work on them. And then, you know, hit the render button and it spits out those renderings so that a guy isn't pigeonholed into that specific role and that's all they do and do nothing else. And that's part of the reason why a lot of people leave firms is because they get pigeonholed and they don't want to do that anymore. And there's no way out of it within a given firm because everybody just thinks of them as one thing. And so much of the time, right? It's like the example my coworkers would see me using is, is this, right? It's like, we're concerned about what's directly in front of us and not looking down the line at kind of what plagues the profession, what plagues the industry, right? And just in general construction, right? And we had an interesting chat before we started recording. And I'd like to just get your take a little bit more on that, right? So there's issues within AEC at large. Could you expand on what you've seen regarding those? Since I came into this industry in 2013, it's always been, well, they're going to retire in you know the next five, 10 years. And it's kind of just always been that. You have all these guys retiring. You have not a lot of people coming into it. You know, when I'd go to career fairs to recruit people for my department, man, I was the only construction firm there outside of like Caterpillar, you know, <laughs> at these engineering schools, right? Or other manufacturers. So like nobody was really in construction that went to these firms, you'd have a couple, but few and far between. So we're not recruiting as a whole, right? The whole construction industry, not just architecture, engineering. Outside of that, you really have no influx of people. For engineers at large, right? As an electrical engineer, I can go and I can design your phone, your printed circuit board. I can do embedded computing. I can do communications. I can do a power plant, a plant engineer or construction, right? And everything in between. And so there's a lot of choices out there with a, not a lot of people coming into the field. So like, for example, in my grant, I went to a small engineering school. So we only had like 400 people in, in my graduating class. But out of that, out of the 50 electrical engineers, there were two in power classes. <laughs> One went to work, you know, for ArcelorMittal and steel. And I, you know, went into construction. And so that's it, right? So it's nobody's coming into the industry. People are retiring out. You have not as many licensed professionals. It's like a 15 to one or 15 to 20 to one ratio between engineers and engineers, designers, and contractors. So more and more people are going into contracting, but still there's not enough, right? Every single contractor out there is hiring. They don't have enough people. They don't have enough talent. They're lacking skills. And so they need training. They need all those pieces. So at large, we have an employment problem. There's like two ways to get around it. One, hire more people, which we haven't been able to do for 10 plus years. So, and every firm 
again, since probably 2012, 13 is like, well, we need to hire a lot of people, you know, like every department has an opening at all times. And so we've clearly not been able to solve the hiring problem for a decade because nobody recruits, everybody's kind of tied off, no engineering firms collaborate. We don't do best practices. There's none of that. So the only other option that I've seen for the last decade is, well, you got to use software to do more work. That's it. Like you have probably more projects than we've ever had. You have less time to do it. You have fewer people and you haven't been more productive, right? The productivity increase in construction at large is like less than 1%. Those are the choices. And I haven't seen any other way out of it. It's okay. We can't hire. We haven't improved our internal procedures, standards, templates, how we do things. So the only other option is to use software to do it. And frankly, like for electrical design, Calgonga Studios is the only solution I've seen out there to automate your electrical and low voltage layouts in Revit because it's such a small market. Only an engineer who's designed buildings can create the software to lay out buildings. That's how I see it. To the audience who you might think, well, I'm not an electrical engineer. Maybe you don't even work in buildings, right? But take what Dylan's saying and apply it to your own practice, right? Whether it's literally sheet setup or it's some other necessary but mundane or tedious task, the underlying principle is there's likely a better way to do it. And if you can, take the time to explore it. And you may not start your own company or write software to fully automate things, right? But just having that mindset of continuous improvement especially through the lens of technology is awesome. And that's really what this podcast is about is enabling professionals in AEC to just do things better and more efficiently for all of the reasons that we've talked about. But Dylan, what would you say are some other ways that Cowabunga Studios can kind of help engineering projects to be more successful? Again, it starts with taking a holistic approach of your projects, the clients you work with, the industry and market at large. So not only are you going to be able to, you know, in working with us to improve your efficiency and your productivity for anything in Revit, right? For sheet setup, project setup. So architects, engineers across the board, if you're working in Revit, we can help you there. And then more so on the electrical and low voltage side of the coin. So your productivity is going to increase, but how are you going to use your engineers and your technical staff to, because really at the end of the day, we're all in sales. We're trying to win that next project. We're trying to stay with that client, provide more information and more benefit to those owners. And by now freeing up a lot of that time, man, think how many more projects you can win over that other firm, right? How many more meetings and lunches and everything else that you can go to for either owners, vendors, just bettering all those relationships across the industry. You know, most firms have five to 10 clients and think if you could double the number of either clients that you have or the number of projects with those clients, you would be able to double your business without hiring people and still be as productive as you are. Everybody's lives would be able to be better. Everyone would make more money or should, you know, you do more projects, you help your community everything that we do is community oriented. Like we're not outsourcing really anything. Most all engineering firms do their own work in their own communities. Someone from another country isn't going to be able to sign off and seal drawings here. So the more that we can get involved in our communities as architects, engineers, construction professionals, 
the better off everybody in our community is going to be. Because again, pretty much all the projects that I've worked on by and large were within hundred miles of where I lived. So, I mean, just think of that for everybody out there. Like, so Calbunga Studios can help you. Sure. We can improve your productivity and processes, but a lot of it's on you as to how you use that time, how you improve the lives of your people, how you improve your firm, what you do with that. You know, if I gave you 200 hours tomorrow, do you know what you do with it? And that's really the question that I think a lot of people have to answer. Like, sure, we can improve productivity, but now what? You know, if a firm has been running a certain way for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it's going to take some introspection to be able to figure out, yeah, well, what happens if we finally sever the link between time and productivity, right? Because that's essentially what automation is doing. And just being able to take that extra step has got to be critical to then make the best use of what automation is essentially handing you. It's a total mindset shift. You know, once you make that mindset shift, you would never think of going the other way. It's like using Revit for projects versus AutoCAD or MicroStation, you know, or hand drafting. Like automation is that next piece. So, you know, from hand drafting to AutoCAD was a leap, from CAD to Revit was another leap. Now, CAD or Revit with automation is another 10x leap in productivity. And you just have to get your mind right around how you're going to use this, what your workflow looks like. It's not just as simple as putting in, you know, a software. I mean, that's pretty simple, but what you do after that is it gets a little harder. Do you want people twiddling their thumbs or not? <laughs> Dylan, today, just to recap, right? We've talked about how do we improve the lives of, of our people, our communities, our businesses, but through the lens of technology and more specifically design automation. What final piece of advice would you give the audience understanding everything that we've talked about already. One is just take that step back. Now is the time of year that you've probably done some strategic planning. You're looking at the outset of it. And so when you look at your firm and where it's going, look holistically. Design automation is the piece of a puzzle for construction professionals, but it's also, you do need to recruit people. Like where's your firm going to be in five years? Who are you going to bring in? You know, if you bring in somebody tomorrow, they're going to be, takes that three to five years to really make a good engineer or architect. So how are you recruiting people? How are you bringing people into your firm? How are you promoting your firm? What are you talking about? Are you, you know, a thought leader as you go through this? Like design automation is one piece of that puzzle to give you the time to execute on everything else. And a lot of this is coming. We're getting better and better with automation and, and using that throughout the construction industry. You know, software is a part of it, robotics are a part of it, but people aren't going away. So what's your firm going to look like in five years? You know, who's retired? Who'd you bring on? What information and institutional knowledge have you kept? What did you lose? And when you start to look holistically, I think you'll have a lot more answers. You'll have some more questions too, but to take that step back is going to be probably the best thing that you can do for yourself, your firm. You know, what do you need to learn if you're not a principal of the firm? You know, what skill sets do you need to improve on? Even if you are a principal, what skill sets do you need to, to get to take you to the next level? And the more that we can step back and answer those questions versus just moving from project to project and kind of looking at the next two months, that'll be the biggest benefit that I think I can't give that to you but I can at least start the conversation. And help give the time back, right? To actually execute. Exactly. So Dylan, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you and, and know you better. Where can the audience find you if they have more questions about either 
Calabunga Studios, what we've talked about today, right? Or I'll even give a plug, right? If they want to join Dylan's newsletter, which is awesome. It's physically mailed, hard copy to your mailbox, right? So I'll, I'll give that plug. Where can they find you? Dylan A. Mitchell on LinkedIn, calabungastudios.com. You'll see all of our products and you can get in touch there. You can book calls and demos and all that kind of good stuff. And then, yeah, I do a physical newsletter that gets mailed to you every month. That's the straight shooting construction letter. So calabungastudios.com slash construction letter. You can find that and sign up for it. It's free. I mail it to you. So I pay for the stamp and everything. And then uh, I have a construction letter that I do digitally online. And I do that pretty much every day through LinkedIn. So you can sign up for that as well. Again, that's totally free. So a lot of the information and content I give away. And then we do a podcast, The Construction Corner, that comes out every Tuesday. So you can sign up for that on any uh, podcast platform. Dylan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. And we will see you next time. Nick, thank you so much, man. And uh, appreciate all the support. And uh, thanks for reading. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at aectechpodcast.com. There, you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering and technology endeavors.